The traumas that happen to you when you're young stay with you and shape who you become. The loss of a sibling, of a parent. Only our families know the person we were before, the person we might have been. So I was very interested when I received a call from Sandra Howland Pierce. This must be Brett. Yes, hi. How are you doing today? I'm so fine, thank you so much. My relationship to Howell, to Peregrine, and the final had become entirely clouded. I wanted clarity, perspective. At least, that's what I told myself. Yes, PJ is my cousin. Peter James. We're first cousins. His only cousin, as a matter of fact. We're practically siblings. Uh-huh. It's hard to imagine it now. I I haven't spoken to Peter James in, oh, dear, 50 years. Oh, wow. I, I thought he was dead. I mean, for many years now, I, I thought he had died. Sandra found out that Hal was very much alive through a Google alert her granddaughter set up so Sandra could track the family name. The recent news about Whitetail had put Howell back on the grid. Sandra reached out from her home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, to somebody quoted in a Minnesota newspaper article. Uh, Irene O'Connell, no, O'Connor, she told me I should talk to you, that you were writing a story about PJ. Well, a podcast. I'm sorry? I'm doing a podcast. I don't know what that is. Uh, That that doesn't matter. Um, She said she was concerned about Howell. The article made it seem like he was in legal trouble and might be in financial straits. She seemed worried about how this story might affect her family's legacy. What exactly has PJ told you about us, about his family? To be honest, nothing. (laughs) Nothing? No. Well, that surprises me. How come? (laughs) How come? Have you ever seen Boston in the winter? You may want to consider a little trip. I'm Brett Ryback, and this is In Strange Woods. Chapter 4. The Man I Remember. I've spent the last 20 years of my life trying to piece together my own family history. Ever since I was 13, when my parents died in a car accident in my hometown, just outside of Chicago. My younger sister and I were cared for by my grandmother, who did a pretty good job, given the circumstances. She used to tell me stories about our family, a way to keep them all alive. The whole becoming an orphan thing doesn't exactly bring the sort of attention a closeted gay teen wants in a Midwest high school. So I pushed myself to move on quickly stealing tears in the bathroom and feeling plenty of shame about it. I spent many years foraging through my past for any shred of meaning or identity. Even now, I can't help but wonder what my parents would think of me, their gay, married son, who grew up to be a writer and a storyteller. It was that searching that brought me back to Whitetail after so many years. The happy memories of family fishing trips, Fourth of July fireworks, cross-country skiing. I came for my history, and in the process, I met Peregrine and Howell. Maybe that's why I was so primed to believe that they were like me, outsiders, 
still dealing with the tragedy in their pasts. Bring gear. That was the compromise. You know, she said the final was about overcoming being lost, not about putting ourselves in mortal danger for no reason. I met up with Peregrine one more time before heading to Massachusetts. She and her mother had agreed on terms for the final, which was five days away at this point. So we could still do it, but we have to bring enough gear to keep us safe and warm outside in the winter. My plan was to fly to Boston, interview Sandra, and then fly back in time to see the teens off on Friday morning. After the incident with the bear, Hal finally reached out to Peregrine again at the pick-and-save. He's not angry about what happened. We had a good talk, actually. He said it was a good reminder to reconnect with what's important. I asked Hal to sit for another interview. I wanted to know what went through his mind those weeks shut up in his cabin. He wasn't rude about it, but he declined. I don't like things getting so complicated, he told me. Time to simplify. He said, If you feel you've lost your stride Principles can be your guide Concentrate on what's inside Stay clear Stay clear I wanted to believe that the final was a good idea that these kids were creating a rite of passage for themselves, one that our society neglected to give them. I wanted to believe that this was normal, necessary even. But deep down, I kept asking myself, why? Why were Peregrine, the teens, and I so willing to trust Peter Howland when so many others didn't? I told myself I had a responsibility to learn everything I could about his past that that would be my contribution to these kids. I didn't want to feel like I was sitting back and watching them risk their lives without having all the facts. People may not understand Why you plan the things you plan Do not let them turn your hands Stay clear Stay clear But looking at it now, now that everything is said and done, I can't help but wonder if the pieces weren't already there in front of me. If I already knew what I needed to know to prevent the pain and suffering and resulting death that was to come. Hi. You made it! I did. I did. Thank you. Oh, Uh, welcome. Jeffrey can take your things. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Oh my God, what a beautiful... Sandra Howland Pierce lives in a stately yellow mansion that faces away from Brattle Street in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Her driveway winds along the side of the house before opening up to a cozy courtyard with snow-covered stone flower beds and an empty fountain. It's a far cry from Howell's Cabin in the Woods of Whitetail. Sandra invites me into the back entrance, wrapped in a suede and cashmere shawl, alongside Jeffrey, her domestic. Feel free to take those boots off. I had some slippers delivered for you. Oh, wow. Her bright white hair is cut short and choppy, giving her a chic look befitting her position as a philanthropic art collector. I'm just going to clip this mic here. Oh, 
<laughs> Ooh, fun. <laughs> okay, if you want to tell me what you had for breakfast, I can get a level. For breakfast, uh, um, I had... What did I have? <laughs> Sandra seems both nervous and excited to be hosting me. It's a quarter past noon, but before she begins a tour of the house... What are we drinking? Oh, uh, I'm fine right now. <laughs> Nonsense. No, no, no. I just had Jeffrey open a fabulous bottle of the FMC Chenon Blanc Excellent Vintage from South Africa 2012. Okay, sure. Yes, yes. Lovely, lovely, lovely. <laughs> she sips freely as she whisks me through a potpourri of architectural styles, pausing in each room to point out some detail of the framing or a painting on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I have always been a collector. Everything, recipes, art, wine, chandeliers, records. Oh, happy times. I love this one. See, I, I just want to hold everything as close as I can and squeeze it because of what I really collect is emotions, memories. <laughs> happy times. <laughs> All right, just listen. Why does this thing never work for me the first time? Here we go. Happy times. Hold on to happy times. Those happy, happy times. Laughter, sunshine, silly nursery rhymes. Hold on to happy, happy times. In a Scandinavian-design-influenced library, she shows me her degrees from Williams College, Boston University, and Harvard, each in some aspect of design theory or art history. On to happy times, those snappy happy times, champagne, flowers, silver window chimes. Hold on to happy, happy times. Now the living room is Queen Anne. And here you see some of our awards from over the years. Philanthropy has always been so important to Elroy and me. Yes, that's a real Picasso, by the way. When you're feeling blue, what to do? Find that fond reminder of the good times that you knew. And hold on to happy times, those scrappy happy times. Music, dancing, shiny Roosevelt dimes. Hold on to happy, happy times. We finally arrive at the home's gem a carved teak salon designed by Lockwood DeForest. Well, now most of DeForest's work no longer exists outside of museums. And he was, he was a leader in the American aesthetic movement, which I... A framed photograph catches my eye. Tucked between a biography of I.M. Pei and a book authored by Sandra herself, I instantly recognize a stout young man wearing a pair of black, wire-framed glasses. Is this Peter? I'm sorry? This is Peter in this picture. Oh, well, I forgot I had this out. He's maybe 19 or 20 years old, holding one end of a large ribbon being cut by two gentlemen in the middle. They all wear dark suits, smiling big for the camera. Who are these other men? Ah, uh, that's my Uncle Deggery. That's PJ's father. And Grandpa Benjamin in the middle, and... Oh, and... That handsome man was my father. What are they celebrating? Oh, uh, this was the opening of a new branch of the company. I, I hadn't realized I kept this. 
all of them dead now. Except Peter. Yes, yes, of course, except Peter. All, all except him. <clears throat> now, which room was your absolute favorite? Some things keep better than others, I suppose. We sit in the salon next to a picturesque fire. We're surrounded by boxes that Sandra had Jeffrey bring up from the basement. He refreshes our wine as Sandra pages through an album of laminated documents. Ever since my husband passed six years ago, I have been fascinated by tracing my family tree, and I've collected all this, this stuff over the years. The birth certificates, deeds, college essays, and every time a relative... The sheer amount of preserved memories gives an almost royal veneer to the Howland line. If the truth about Howell was anywhere, it was surely somewhere within these boxes. Because we are an old family. Did you actually... Oh, here, here it is, here it is. Document of certification from... Oh, wow. Yes, that is right. The Mayflower Society. I am a direct descendant of John Howland Passenger on the Mayflower. That's incredible. Yes, if you're doing a story about the Howland family, well, this, this is a story right here. We, we are foundational to this country. The Howlands have been here from the beginning. Aha! Look. I think of reminding her about the people who were here before the Mayflower, but decide against it. He fell off the boat. What? <laughs> he fell off the Mayflower. Yes, he did. Right into the Atlantic Ocean. And they, they had to throw in a rope and drag him out. He could have died. He could have died. And then, and then none of this would be here. The whole Howlin' line. That's right. And, and when you really think about that, uh, the Roosevelts were cousins. The Bushes, Nixon, and Ford, although from a separate branch. Good thing they got him back on board. Yes, it really is. To lose even just my branch would have been a grave tragedy for this country. In what way? Because of Helion. Helion, the largest weapons manufacturing company in the United States of America. In 1922, my grandpa Benjamin founded Helion with Vannevar Pierce, my husband's grandfather, in case you were wondering how we were set up. And I knew about Helion from researching Sandra before I arrived, but I still find it difficult to wrap my head around the implications. Peter Howland is an heir to a company that Time magazine called the engine of the U.S. military-industrial complex, presumably making him an inheritor of an unfathomable fortune. It is our legacy. Backwoods living, no-car-owning, outhouse-using Peter Howland. Wealthy beyond imagining, thanks to decades of government contracts to make the most sophisticated and deadly weapons known to humankind. You have to understand, this is so strange. The Peter Howland that I know... He's off the grid. He doesn't... Wait, I'm sorry. What, what does that mean? 
off the grid. He lives in the woods, doesn't have electricity, doesn't use running water, hunts for his food. Oh, my. Yeah, so to think that... I mean, does he know that he has all of this? Has all of what? This inheritance. I assume that he's entitled to... Well, I guess I should ask, is Peter an inheritor of this estate? Well, now that is a complicated question. How so? <sighs> oh, well, I... PJ was... Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. Peter James. I, I keep calling him PJ. That was his family nickname. He hated being called that. They didn't get along, Peter James and his father. Oh. How well do you know Peter James? I thought I knew him better than some people, but this is confusing me. What is this? In my head, I guess this is maybe foolish of me, but I thought of Peter as an underdog. Not someone who grew up well off. An underdog. It's just so different from where he is now, and... I guess I'm wondering why. Well, he always was a different child. That's what my father would say. How so? The man I remember was careful and coy. Easy to miss him, dressed in brown corduroy. But the man I remember was only a boy. The man I remember was stubborn and bold. Couldn't be counseled and would not be controlled. But the man I remember was 19 years old All those years Unhappy years It's silly to say When I think of it now The reason I wanted you here I felt that I needed To warn you somehow Warn me? But I'm wrong Surely I'm wrong when was the last time that you and Peter James spoke? Oh, in person? It, it, was, it was before he left for the war, for Vietnam. He enlisted in the Marines. It was very sudden. You mean he was drafted? No. He enlisted. Are you sure? <laughs> Am I sure? Darling, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Why is that? The man I remember Truths to obey And when they were broken Oh, the hell we would pay But is he still the man I remember today? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I just, I'm very warm just now I'm going to ask Jeffrey to, uh, would you like, would you like some more wine? No, no, thank you. Oh, sorry, sorry. 
The way I understood the story, the way Howell had told me, it sounded as though he was drafted into the Marines in 1967, not that he enlisted. I was a kid when I was sent to Vietnam. I found out the truth about the world then. Nobody seemed to think that was inappropriate. I can't fully explain why this distinction bothered me. I guess I assumed Howe's bitterness for war was the result of his having been forced into it. Why would he choose to go? Clarify something for me. It's my understanding that Peter, Peter James wasn't a, um, that he struggled with the idea of war. Is that how you remember him? Well, he and my uncle Deggery were very different types of people, personalities. So yes, they had their disagreements about the business and the way it was run. Because the business was weapons manufacturing. I think it upset Peter James that his father profited off war, that we all did, him included, which is silly, of course. He thought his father valued money over people, which wasn't true. After Howell left the Marines, he went to Pakistan and worked as a laborer in the Middle East and Africa. Eventually, he met Gerda in Egypt, and together they traveled the world. I asked Sandra if she recognizes the name Gerda Polnick. Gerda. Hmm. Was she... She was a photographer for print media abroad in the 70s and 80s. She and your cousin were very close. Well, he only wrote me once from his time abroad, so I, I never really knew what he was up to or whom he was close with. But oh, what, what I really wanted to share with you and your your readers or is it listeners, what have you? Where are they? <gasps> Portraitures. Will you look at? These? Oh, how beautiful. <laughs> I'm frustrated that whenever I try to turn the conversation to Howell, Sandra blushes and changes topic. I had thought she brought me here to learn the truth about Peter Howland's history. But Sandra seems more concerned that I know the rich, complicated mythology of her family legacy. Had I misunderstood her invitation? Oh yes, Howland has fought in every American war since the Revolution. Yet the more she divulges, and the more she drinks, tiny little cracks begin to form in her story. I begin to sense that something about Howell is hiding among their happy times, something that might reveal whether Peregrine and I were right to trust him. And it feels like Sandra, in her way, wants me to find it. That's after the break. Another glass of wine later, and much to my relief, Sandra has arrived at more recent history, her and Howell's childhood, a period that saw the Howland family rise to great prominence and wealth, while privately, a growing conflict threatened to blow the family apart. When Uncle Deggery came back from World War II, he took the reins at Helion and turned the company from science to weapons from making radar to making bombs. And come the 60s, we were in business big time. The Cold War's getting hotter. Europe's still a mess. Daddy's making missiles. And me, I get a brand new dress. Fortunes start to rocket. Watch them as they soar. Think of 
There's nothing like a war. In the 1960s, America began outsourcing the Cold War, sending bombs to the Middle East, parts of Africa, Central and South America, all in an effort to stop the spread of communism. Meanwhile, in the States, the cash kept flowing in. Our homes keep getting bigger with every contract signed. Christmas at the White House with dolls and toys of every kind. Uncle Sam wants weapons. We keep making more. There's nothing like a war. Those war-torn countries would be the same ones Howell would later travel to with Gerda. I picture him time and again encountering weapons bearing his family crest. Try as he might to escape his family's legacy, Helion would follow him the world over. That is, until he made it to Whitetail. Did Peter ever work for the company? He did. In what capacity? Well, it was actually Peter James who suggested the company should expand into chemicals. Yes, that photo you saw, the ribbon cutting? It was his idea that they should make rocket fuel. For spaceships? For NASA? Yes, well, that's what Peter James thought. But you see, the profit was in weapons. That is what Helion was known for. Peter James wants science to be our bottom line. No more making missiles, but fuel for rockets. That was fine. His father wouldn't listen. That's what got him sore. Have you ever seen him angry? Angry how? Bank a boom. The fights they had. Flash kablam. It's getting bad. Peter James is really mad. But our homes keep getting bigger. And there's precious shoes and jewelry and parties with the governor and Danny's new Mercedes. Are you talking about specific instances of of outbursts or he learned it from his father i'm not excusing anything but uncle deggery was a very punitive man and when you didn't follow his principles he would react punitively when it comes to family settling a score There's nothing like a war. Two and a half hours into my conversation with Sandra, and suddenly a new picture is emerging. Peter Howland may have been born into a world of wealth, but not a world of love. Fate handed me my hardship. But Peter Howland's trauma came from within his own family. And the lasting results of that trauma would soon become very clear. What was your relationship with your Uncle Deggery like? Oh, well, he was like a second father to me. Especially after my father died. How old were you? Thirteen. Wow. Me too. Really? Yeah. Both my parents. Oh, 
so much pain, like tiny little cracks. I mean, you don't notice them at first, but slowly they they eat away at a family, at a life. <laughs> you probably don't know this, but my aunt and uncle actually had two girls before Peter James. Oh. Yes. Charity and Mercy Howland. Peter James' sisters. They died as children. It was very tragic. A boating accident on the Cape. Six years old. Oh, my God. My Aunt Bitsy was pregnant with Peter James at the time, and then three months later, he was born. <laughs> you can imagine. All I remember of my aunt was that she cried and she drank at this Sandra waved her hand in the air shooing away memories holding on to happy times well <laughs> well then when I was born there was a new little girl in the family and so everyone adored me especially my uncle did that ever make Peter jealous <laughs> Perhaps, perhaps it did. But that's the way Uncle Deggery was. The man I remember was loving but stern. Spoiled me rotten, I later would learn. But oh, I remember how mean he could turn. Was Peter abused? Physically? Oh, well, they each threw their fair share of punches. My mother called their house Madison Square Garden, you know, as a joke. Was there ever love there? To be honest, it's, it's hard to say. Given what happened, it's, it's, it's very hard to say. What happened? the chemical plant. Peter James was the operations manager, and that, that was a mistake. It was becoming clear that something had happened at that chemical plant, and whatever it was had left a permanent scar on this family. The creation of Helion's chemical plant was Howell's own idea turned against him, when instead of making fuel for rocket ships... They made bigger bombs. I think back to my last interview with him, about what he said about money and war. There is nothing so pure in the heart of man as the hunger for power and gold. He spent those years after Vietnam running. Was he running away from Deggery? His punishing father, who valued profits over his own son? Inside me an anger was born again For injustices I couldn't cure Was it the war at home that turned Howell against society at large? The realization that, however noble we say our intentions are, human beings will always be seduced and blinded by what they think they can conquer and control. Is that what he thought about the people of Whitetail? 
about Peregrine and the teens? About me? My father defended him, and often he he told my uncle that Peter James was not, was not a bad child. He was, he was just different. And I believe that, too, because, you see, PJ was five years older than I was, so I followed him around like a puppy dog. There should be a, a picture in here. What is this? Oh, my. (laughs) This I remember. Yes. (laughs) Sandra is holding a small box with broken pieces of plaster of Paris. She picks up a piece and moves it thoughtfully through her fingers. I I, I must have been eight years old and my parents, they were on safari and they didn't take me, which I was dreadfully sore about. And I was left with Aunt Bitsy and Uncle Degree. And it was summer, so Peter James was home from boarding school, and I, I was I was being such a, a brat, and I was so upset that I I shattered a plaster cast of Mercy and Charity's handprints. They're little girls. That's awful. I'm ashamed now to remember it. But Peter James took the blame. He told his mother that he had broken it by accident, that he he was showing it to me, he said, and it dropped. Well, when Uncle Deggery came home, he, he beat him so badly. So badly. Wow. Oh, man. I haven't thought about this in forever. I feel horrible for Peter James. I I used to adore him. You have to understand that. I really did. He didn't deserve the things that happened to him when he was young. And not excusing him, but I, I felt horrible. A few days afterwards, I remember He took me hiking out in the woods, out back in the woods near our house. Peter James made a fire, didn't use any matches. I thought it was magic, I thought it would never go out. I sat and listened, stared at the sky. Taught me to find the North Star Peter James was a vision How he'd sit in his sadness So tenderly pressing his scars Pain is good, he said Hurt is real To live is to feel every ache that you feel And I wanted to sit In the dark with him In the dark with him Bound in a blanket of soothing despair 
dark with him, in the dark with him. No one and nothing could break through his darkness out there. And there it was. The thing I had been feeling for a while but couldn't quite name. The thing that made Howl so alluring to the right people. To Peregrine, who lost Jacob. To me, who lost my parents. Everyone tells you to move on from grief. Howl is the only one who guides you deeper into it. I thought I had to push through the pain, push hard through the pain till it breaks. But he embraces the sorrow, holds it close for protection. A man who resists being saved. Pain is good, he thinks. I know. Hurt is real, but oh, I want to feel all the ache I can feel. I want to sit in the dark with him. Dark with him, take back a lifetime of tears never cried. In the dark with him, in the dark with him, no one and nothing can break through this darkness inside. But that's the trick he plays. He acts the victim, but we're the ones who suffer. What do you mean? I know what happened in that town, Brett. I read the articles I know about the boy who died. I think he's being scapegoated. I understand wanting to defend him. I think that we impose our prejudices on somebody. <laughs> and Brett! That, and that blinds us to who they really are. You don't know who he really is. I think I do. But you don't. Trust me. You don't. There is something so pure how he shuns the world. Like his darkness might be my reprieve. Every warning I've heard turns to dust with his words. There's no room for doubt if I tune it all out and believe. I Sorry, I'm here. I said come with me. It's time to put this to bed. Hold on to the railing. You're younger than I am, and I need to hold on to the railing. Yeah, now you'll see the real collection. Sandra is taking me down to her basement. By this point, we've been talking for nearly five hours. The sunlight is gone. Here in the darkness, the cold, damp Boston winter can't be kept out. 
It was over here. I, I know I had it in here. I just need to keep... What is this? Some of this stuff is just... She paused at stacks of boxes, looking for what, I don't know. Biggest mistake they ever made, trusting him with a chemical plant. I was still trying to put all the pieces together. The chemical plant. Hal's relationship with his father. The fact that he went to Vietnam by choice. Where is it? What was it that Sandra was holding back all these years? My father didn't want to see it, but PJ was the one in charge. He knew what AP could do. I would find out later that AP stands for ammonium perchlorate, a compound used in rocket fuel. It's incredibly unstable and dangerous to store in large batches. Sandra finally locates a box of envelopes and begins rifling through them. One with a lot of stamps catches my eye. I pull it out. Oh, this one's from Peter. No, 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 we're not looking for a letter. Can I open it? It's nothing. Forget it. I open it anyway. It's dated February 1988 from Antigua, Guatemala. I quickly glance through, and my eyes land on the name Gerda. Hal writes that he's fallen in love, but fears that he will hurt her. A few lines down, he asks Sandra to keep his inheritance safe and to use it if she needs. Wait, wait. I have so many questions, but not all of them will be answered. Why did Peter want you to take care of his inheritance? Because he knew. Deep down, he knew he wasn't entitled to any of it. I mean, it says that he... Why should he be entitled? My father died because of what he did. And, and then he goes off to war. He just off he goes and we're left with the pieces. What did he do to your father? I'm trying to show you. Look! Sandra shoves an envelope in my hands. Inside are folded up news articles about a chemical plant explosion in 1966. My mind is racing to keep up. I want to ask Sandra about Gerda, about why Hal thought he might hurt her. But she's become a hurricane, and there's a lot to take in. He knew about the cracks in the drums. The tiny little cracks. He told me. What exactly did he... He told me! He said his father was being cheap, cheap with people. He would scream about it, and PJ saw the books. He was the one in charge. He was the one inspecting the shipments. He knew the drums would leak out. These are the tanks of... Of AP, yes. And he knew. How do you know that Because he told me. He screamed about how the cheaper drums would leak and the storage barns would slowly turn into bombs. Bombs like the ones we sent overseas. Oh... He was so... He was angry. And I, I said, you have to tell someone. It was his job. He, he had to tell his father or, or mine about the cracks. But he kept quiet. And all it took was an electrical spark. And my father... My father and seven other people, all of them dead because he let them die. (laughs) 
Helion paid out millions in settlement, and the chemical branch of the company shut down immediately. The articles mention the faulty drums, the danger of storing ammonium perchlorate in large quantities, and yet a formal investigation determined the entire thing was an accident. No one was held responsible. I don't understand why you're- Because he's tricked you. He's done it again. You think he, you think he didn't kill that boy? You might as well be blind. He is an evil man. And he will let you die out of spite. And he will call it principle. If you feel you lost your stride, principles can be your guide. Concentrate on what's inside. Stay clear. I couldn't process everything I had just learned, but I understood what Sandra thought she knew. Hal had let eight people die his own uncle, in order to spite his father's greed. For Sandra, the acknowledgement of his guilt was in the fact that he enlisted in the Marines and never returned home. People may not understand why you plan the things you plan. Do not let them turn your hand. Stay clean. Human lives hung in the balance, and yet Howell said nothing. His act of omission seemed purposeful and direct. And if he did it once back then, could he do it again? First with Jacob, and now with Peregrine? Punishment for a town who wanted to label him, control him, and throw him away? It's nearly impossible to prove intentionality in a wrongful death case. How are you going to show that somebody was motivated to not do something at the detriment of others? Only a, a, a history of that sort of malice is going to be convincing to a judge and jury. The time is now to bloom or bleed. Fall behind or take the lead. Only death is guaranteed. Stay That night, I left Sandra and rushed to the airport. I wasn't scheduled to leave Boston until the next morning, but I wanted to get back to Whitetail right away. If only I had waited, I could have flown direct. I wouldn't have gone through Chicago and gotten stuck in a blizzard heading north. As it was, when I finally made it to Whitetail, the final had already begun. Next time. In Strange Woods is a production of Atypical Artists. The series was created and written by Jeff Lupino Esposito, Brett Ryback, and Matt Sav. The series was directed by Jeff Lupino Esposito, music produced by Matt Sav and Evan Cunningham, and sound designed by Brandon Grugel and Steven Jensen. In Strange Woods is executive produced by Matt Sav, Brett Ryback, Jeff Lupino Esposito, Lauren Shippen, and Brigham Snow. For more information about the cast and crew, please visit InStrangeWoods.com. Thank you.